My guest today is Jesper Ambrosius of Lego. The career journey that brought him there is really fascinating. He graduated with a double bachelor's in media science and economics, and then got a master's in economics from Aarhus and Sydney University. Throughout his career, he has been working within primarily leadership and strategy, both within his own teams and as a strategy partner for several executives. He started out as a management trainee in the global telco company Telenor, where he later took on two different leadership positions. And in 2015, he joined the Lego Group, every kid's dream, right? Working on strategic initiatives with key partners, including Lego's chief marketing officer and the chief people officer. It's never been linear. I mean, I'm super excited about working for Lego, and it's you know, it's, it's it's definitely a dream job and a dream company in many ways. But no, I actually never saw it also as a you know when I played with Lego as a kid, I never saw it as a place where I could work. Interestingly enough, later he helped establish Lego's workplace experience, which played an absolutely critical role in Lego during COVID-19, and he now heads up environmental product innovation. Jesper lives in Aarhus, Denmark, with his wife Signe and their three children, aged three, six, and eight, all of whom happen to love that their father's job is at the Lego Group. This conversation has many highlights. We talk about Jesper's first ever jobs, where he proved the importance of being open to opportunities that might change your direction or path. He talks about how all the different jobs and working with all different kinds of people at the start of his career really broaden his perspective. Then, yes, he answers your burning question of what is it like to work at Lego and the strategies he applied to design and building exciting, collaborative and creative workplace experiences, improving talent attraction and employee retention globally. Yes, but also discusses the pivot they had to make throughout the pandemic and how they're adapting their strategies to a new hybrid model. Ambrosius walks us through how he is cultivating a culture within his team and the challenges of doing so remotely. I'm sure many of you can relate. Because it's a very diverse team, people from from many different areas, very different cultural backgrounds, very different capabilities and skill sets. So it's about figuring out where are the pockets where you know, where they can see themselves play a role. Be sure to stay tuned to the end where Jesper discusses the quote-unquote playful mindset and how he hopes this will become more prevalent throughout the LEGO group. Just recording this intro got me excited to listen to this conversation again. So without further ado, Jesper. Jesper Ambrosius, thank you so much for joining us on the Bet on Yourself podcast today. Thanks so much, and it's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited to be connecting with you. One, because you work at a very cool place that I think all kids maybe have dreamed about working at at some point in their childhood, but also because I think your journey is so inspiring and really resonates with with our listeners here. So thank you for your time. This is going to be really fun. My pleasure. So I wonder if you can take us all the way back to Jesper as a child. What did you think you would be? Because was Legos part of your big master plan when you were young? What did you think you would be when you grew up? No, yeah, that's a great question. And I, yeah, no, it wasn't too. So, uh, and, and I've, to be honest, I've, I've never really had those huge ideas of, you know, I wanted to be something, I wanted to be a, you know, a pilot or, you know, uh, whatever. So, I think my first idea of, of where I wanted to go was probably to become an engineer like my dad. Yeah. Um, but that changed fairly quickly once I reached high school and I just got interested in so many different fields and it brought me in so many different directions. But, but um, 
I, I didn't really have that like one aim that I was that I was aiming for. Um, but but I think it, it, at least in high school there were so many different fields and so many kind of like some mental gates that opened up for me. And um, eventually, I then started uh, studying media science, which is a field that has many kind of like an intersection between many different subfields. And I found that interesting. And at least that's also what I can see ever since it has had happened. I've picked areas kind of like where you're in the intersection between many different subfields. So I think it's never been linear. I mean, I'm super excited about working for Lego and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a dream job and a dream company in many ways. Um, but no, I actually never saw it also as a, you know, when I played with Lego as a kid, I never saw it as a place where I could work, interestingly enough. Um, maybe that's something we can come back to because actually also some of one of Lego's maybe challenges to be actually be recognized as an employer, not just as a, as a, you can say, as a brick, as a, as a, as a consumer good. So, um, so yeah, so I know I, I've never really, I've, you know, my career has been very much nonlinear and I'm sure we'll get, we'll get back to that as well. Yeah, your your journey is really fascinating because I noticed that your educational experience was very diverse, very international, and you somehow you were interested in engineering, then it shifted to economics, right, and finance, and then it took you from, you started, right, in Denmark, right, is that where, yes, then Sydney, then you did your MBA at Columbia in the States, so what was your education like having studied in three different countries and how did that shape the evolution of of what you chose to study and specialize in yeah no i think so especially in when i started doing media science in, in denmark i did my bachelor degree there there and and whilst i was it was an interesting field i just i began to feel you know it's very it's very theoretical and i just i i i missed that uh connection with real life so to say the practice part of it um, and uh, at, at some point, I, I had to do some, some courses in economics. And whilst I, I did that, I suddenly, I suddenly realized it was actually a very interesting field as well and very different from what I had anticipated. And, you know, again, since I haven't really had any like core area where I was just like that, that was the only thing I could do, I've always been a mix of many things. So, here suddenly I could use my, my math skills and I could use my, my interest in social sciences. So, so that was why I then pivoted from actually doing uh, media science to, to economics. And then what happened was, um, as you're alluding to, during my master's, I, I, I had spent a semester at Sydney, Sydney University. And there I actually had uh, one of the episodes I would probably uh, call my and a very important episode for, for the rest of my career because I had uh, or took a course called behavioral finance. And that took a very different approach to what, what kind of economics I had, been, I had been taught, which is really about the neoclassical economics where you have a theory, right? And you try to test that theory in real life. Here it was the opposite, right? You, you go out and you test the data that you have out there and you see, you know, how do people actually act? How do they behave? So that totally changed my mindset um, in a different direction. That's also one of the reasons why I, I recently, you know, yeah, did some courses at, at, at Columbia University, especially around behavioral science and how you, so to say, take that as a methodology, how you can actually implement that in, 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 in businesses and in business life in, in um, 
in, in my job now. So, so yeah, that was a, it's, it's been a bit of a journey, but it's, it's, and it's, you know, it's brought so many different perspectives uh, every time. So, uh, so I'll, that's definitely something I would encourage everybody to do just, you know, uh, I know it's it's not easy right now because of COVID. So you can't really say the world is your playground, but mm-hmm. but definitely uh, different universities also tend to have different, mm-hmm. you could say, um, not only perspectives but different focus in terms of of you know. I think many of us probably you know ideally we would like all universities to 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 be the same and to be broad and you know test out many different areas and directions, but they don't. And at Aarhus University, there was very little, if, if anything, uh, within the field of behavioral economics, which is obviously a huge area now with Kahneman and Tversky and, you know, lots of, of recent Nobel uh, winners, uh, Nobel Prize winners have, uh, have come within this, from this field. And there was just nothing uh, at, at Aarhus University. So, so and yeah, and I discovered that in Sydney and, you know, it's, it's followed me ever since. I've been super passionate, passionate about it the uh, last 10 years or so. That's amazing. I really resonate with a lot of the points of your journey because I started undergraduate as a vocal performance major. I don't think I've shared that on the podcast before. Like in high school, I really enjoyed singing and music and performing. And I didn't think that would be my university plan. I knew that I was going to pivot from that, but I had no idea what I was going to pivot into. And then I ended up studying international studies in undergrad in 2002 when the Euro was just being launched. So it was a really fascinating thing following unexpected trail and following where your curiosity lies and what wakes up a part of your brain that you hadn't engaged before. So I think it's really interesting. And for me as well, I spent two years in Sweden during undergrad, actually um, studying abroad, learning languages. And my program international studies required we speak two foreign languages. And uh, yeah, I ended up in Scandinavia. And you're right, it just completely changes your entire life and world perspective when you've experienced a different culture so immersively. And um, I really hope that more and more Americans as as the world opens up, start doing that because it's, I know it's a big challenge for Americans. It's easier for my European friends to do Erasmus or, you know, travel around and study abroad, but it changed my life living on the other side of the world um, and prepared me for my very unexpected career journey. So to hear these little pivot points in your career is something that rings true for me. It just wakes up your brain in this really exciting way to, to new fields. And it sounds like you were at the forefront of this emerging area of specialization. So exactly. How- no, and it, it, yeah, no, you're, you're right. Anne. And, it's, you know, it's, it's, I think it's important to, to then be open to, to these uh, inputs that might change your direction mm-hmm. because, uh, because, you know, it, 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 it normally comes, it's difficult to plan for it, I would say. And it normally comes when you probably do not expect it or it can easily come when you don't expect it. And that's why I think it's very important to be open towards it. I mean, this was just a, in my case, it was just very, like, very fairly small course. I had, I think, four or five courses. This was one of them, right? So it's just oh. on that, you know, but, but, it, but, it, uh, but it really changed my, 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 uh, my mindset a lot. And, you know, and also for, you know, it's not only about... Um, I, I'm also, you know, I, I'm not, I, I love the area, the field, but I'm also a, a, a critic of it, so to say. So it's also about, uh, you know, going into it, but also trying to to look at it from the outside to to become, to be, you know, skeptical in in in, in a good way, right, in a scientific way. So. Um, yeah. So tell me about your career progression. What was your very first job ever? 
Was that during university, after university? Where did you start? I'm curious. <laughs> I mean, I think my first job ever was probably distributing newspapers when I was like 12 or 13. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then I've just done so many things ever since. I've, you know, worked, uh, yeah, in, in offices and actually also, you know, a year or two I was with a working. Uh, butcher store and mm. there's been I've, I've been doing so many things i've been working in a factory um uh, so and i think that's also at least for me it's been important to be uh, to be working in, in in areas and with people that i don't work with today i mean obviously very different um uh, different groups of, of people with different perspectives different life stories as well um but then yeah, then after university, I, I was um, I started out as a management trainee for for Telenor, which is one of the biggest uh, telcos we have in, in the world. Um, I was lucky enough to have a really inspiring uh, leader that took me kind of like under his wings, and I was I was kind of like in that I was really a trainee. I was uh, I was learning by not so much learning by doing, but learning by by looking at what he was doing. And then I was lucky enough that within a Within a year or so, he, um, uh, you know, I, I got promoted to a, to a leadership uh, to a leadership position uh, at my own team, and I had two different teams at Telenor. Uh, so that was very early in my in my career, um, and then afterwards went to Lego, worked with strategy for three years. Again, a bit of the same. I was working as a um, strategy partner. I know very much the same as, as you've also done, and um, for our uh, chief chief marketing officer, our chief people officer, and also actually the, the chief uh, executive officer of uh, the Lego Foundation at some point. Um, so again, it was also really much about very much about learning by by looking, observing, following these these successful you know successful people, and 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 figuring out what are they doing well. Of course, there are also things I would do different because I am different than them, but also because I, I, you know, I wouldn't approach it that way. So it's also about separating the, the and, and and try to 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 be your own um, your own person in that. And yeah. then uh, just lately, I've uh, again I've I've um, I've transitioned into leadership positions again in Lego for the last two and a half three years or so. So I'm back into to leadership, but then bringing the strategy perspective with me. I think that's such an important model and something that I think I didn't anticipate early in my career, how important those foundational years are in finding that mentor. I love that you were um, brought into this training program and had somebody to model yourself after. I'm the same. My first manager, John Connors at Amazon, I still use many of the systems he taught me now, like 20 years later, some of those best practices I learned just from observing and just trying to figure out what was going on in a fast moving environment. And then for you then to have, um, when you first started at Lego, to be right there at the side of your CMO, you know, with, you, with these big executives where you can learn kind of the way we get things done here in that particular corporate culture. What led to the change from, teleco company into lego how did that transition happen were you headhunted how did you discover that opportunity and decide to make the move yes no there was a one of my friends that i had uh, done some studies with uh, whilst uh, studying economics um, he he reached out he was a consultant and and was working for lego and and uh, he said there was a position that 
would fit me very well. And, and he had already discussed it with the, with the manager of that team. So that was how it all, yeah. And I simply, you know, when, when, when Lego uh, call, especially in Denmark, uh, I mean, I think in many, uh, in many countries, Lego is, is obviously a, you know, extremely well-known brand, but again, as an employer, it's not that well-known and it's normally not that high up the list uh, in most countries, but in Denmark, it's always uh, top two or three. So, um, so I also as a Dane, of course, I, I, you know, I wanted to, to work uh, for Lego and I, and I think as big as Telenor is, it's, it's, it has a bigger brand also in, in, in Norway where it's, uh, it's, it's founded and, and maybe also in, in, um, in, in Southeast Asia, especially. So, um, and, I, and, I, and I also wanted to, to actually uh, build my strength within strategy because, you know, one thing is becoming, becoming a middle manager, so to say, but there's, and you know, that, that really teaches you a lot, of course, if, you, if, you, if you're ready for it and, and if you, if you want to uh, learn from it, of course, which you, you obviously should try to, but it doesn't give you that many opportunities within high level strategy because that is being decided by normally someone above you. Yeah. So I wanted to understand how you, how you build strategy top down. Mm. Um, and, and, and if, and I, I thought if you, if I can do that, well, I can tell the story, I can set the direction. And then it's obviously about figuring out when you then cascade that down the, down the line and you, you, you want to bring, the different uh, teams with you. How do you do that most effectively? So, so that was the, the idea, and I thought I could also build on my, uh, you could say, my experiences of being a, a partner, strategy partner, um, or someone working very closely with a an executive. So I thought that was a great opportunity, and I think then maybe as a, as a last uh, as a last element to all that. You know, the team that I was joining was just, a, you know, extremely talented team. So many different characters from, from different, uh, different parts of the world, different industries, most of them ex-consultants. But I think that was something that hugely inspired me. They were all young, you know, eager to, to impress. You know, there was also lots of fun in that, of course. You know, yeah, we worked late, but we also worked together. So, so that was something that was um, really intriguing. Uh, haven't, haven't regretted it since, for sure. I have so many questions. I don't even know where to start because it's just such an interesting journey. One from the strategy side, second from just, I'm curious, what is it like? What was it pre-pandemic to walk into a Lego office? Then my next questions are, I know that you've worked at Lego for almost six years now. And just before the pandemic, probably six months or so before the pandemic, you became head of workplace experience. That must have been a major moment of pivot in really thinking about the workspace um, in a completely new way. But I wonder, pre-pandemic, what would it look like if I came into the Lego office? What is that environment like? How do you harness that creativity of these young, you know, audacious thinking, like big dreams and, and do do that top-down strategy with bottom-up innovation? What did that look like originally? Yeah, no, that's an excellent question. And probably a very long answer. So I'll try to, to, to separate a bit and make it uh, somewhat shorter. But, but I think we already, back in 2013, Lego was growing enormously back then. And we were actually uh, changing from being, a, you could say, an international company with uh, 
with our headquarters in Billund, and then also a big office in, in, in Infield outside of Boston. Um, but that was our only bigger presence. And we could just see that there we were growing so quickly, hiring so many new people, and we couldn't attract the right talents also to, to come to, uh, to, to Billund and Infield. So, so we began a, a strategy process of figuring out how can our organization footprint look like if we were to establish new offices. Uh, and that then became three uh, international hubs, we call them. Uh, one in London, one in Singapore, and one in Shanghai. So that was uh, exactly with the, uh, with the intention, and as, as you mentioned, to, to build places where especially younger people would come in and be excited about work, you know, what they saw and, 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 and working there. It was very much about telling the Lego story. It was very much about inspiring. It was very much about the colors, uh, telling the, you know, the Lego has existed for almost 90 years. So it's, it's, it's an old company uh, such and with a fantastic story. I will, I will encourage everyone to, to look that up uh, because it's, it's, it's a very fascinating story. And we wanted to tell that to the employees because what we were, you could say, uh, maybe not worried about, but what we were considering back then is that when you have a very Danish culture and you have a very Danish company that is growing so quickly and hiring so many new people and you're suddenly hiring people in Shanghai, you're hiring them in London, Singapore, is there a risk that you'll lose that, lose that culture, that social fabric, you know, that, and the, you know, obviously Nordic culture, you've, yeah, you've lived in Sweden also, it's, it's different from, from especially an Asian culture, uh, not not better in any way, just different. Mm-hmm. So that was what we were trying. So so we did have some principal principles back then also, and 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 actually having quite a few Danes moving abroad, trying to establish these places to to kind of like we want to to find the right balance between being able to so to say uh, influence with the Danish culture and the Lego culture, and at the same time opening up and and get outside in perspectives and pulses. So, so we could, um, so we also could of course adapt to, because they're, you know, going from an international culture to truly global culture is a, is a huge leap. Yeah. And we wanted to make sure that we didn't become too Lego centric in, in, in the culture that we already had, but at the same time, didn't lose it completely because that's also a risk when you suddenly hire, you know, when, when you hire four people and three of them are outside of Denmark, uh, then suddenly, of course, it can change quickly. So, yes, yeah, so we did have some principles and we did uh, make the offices very modern in that, you know, bit, m- many colors. We had some ideas around not being uh, placed in, in, too fixed, so to say. So it was like you be open um, or landscaped offices. Mm-hmm. So, so not completely open, you know, but, but people could sit wherever they wanted to sit. Uh, we wanted to, as you know, the idea was, we wanted people to engage with each other. We wanted them to, to, to sit with different uh, persons uh, and, and, and connect in different ways that they normally wouldn't do uh, if they were just sat with their teams. So that was the idea. Then later on, we, we um, uh, as part of a kind of like an evaluation process, we found that that was working you know, to a certain degree, but what was happening at the same time was that people felt disconnected uh, to their teams uh, a bit, especially as many teams still had their manager or many team members sitting in Billund and in Denmark in our headquarters. And so, so they felt a bit alone. Um, so 
as part of the next step uh, after we've created the office was then actually, and that's still something we're doing, is to make sure that we then have the right connect. Um, so there's that sense of belonging, we call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and we've been working on that ever since, uh, trying to, to find the right balance. So, so that's also important for us, especially because it's young, you know, it's young people coming in to the office and we don't want them to, to only sit you know, at home and working from home. Of course, this, you know, a lot has changed and we'll, I know we'll come back to that with, uh, with, um, with, with COVID-19. But, uh, but we, all, we want these places to be, uh, these workplaces to be where you connect physically, you connect um, also with Lego as a brand, as a company, as a, as a, as a product, product as well, and as an idea of learning through play. Um, so, so that's also, there's lots of Lego. There are some, like, just to give you one example, in every Lego office, there's, uh, you know, there's uh, a box with Lego. So you'd normally see people building whilst having a meeting. I love uh, that. Yeah, so, so that's just, and, and, and that was just kind of like to, to, to simply get Lego also in as a, and then sometimes you, you, you know, you don't, it's also easy just to then say, you know, we're doing a whatever a brainstorming session, you know, or let's say you and I were introducing each other and, and we want, you know, then, you know, and could you please build, you know, something from, you know, your best memory from your childhood or whatever. Right. So, and I could do the same. And in that sense, we would then suddenly also become creative in a different sense that no, that we would normally do. So all of that is, is being thought into to how we um, how we create offices, and that has of course then changed a bit with COVID nineteen and all that. But we'll come back to that. No, I think there's so much to unpack from that because one, this project you were doing pre pandemic is exactly what the world needs now as people are rethinking a return to offices, potentially hybrid hybrid models. How do we preserve our culture? Uh, make it really fun. I think people are seeing that like the benefit of working from home is once your kids are back at school, you can be heads down and focused on your thought work and be uninterrupted. But what people are craving and missing from the office environment is that connection you were describing, the playful environment where my culture is displayed in a very physical way, where I can be creative with my colleagues. My greatest memories from Google, of course, are the people but we were, the offices are also very, very Google centric. Like no matter, I think I've been to at least 50 of Google's global offices, at least. And each of them, when you walk in the door, you know, you're at Google. There's some kind of common factor, like you said, the colors, the way things are designed, but each office represents the city or country that it's in. You know, you're in Japan or you're in wherever, in, in Mexico or somewhere. And um, that, that balance is really hard to find. But what we're now doing is we come out of COVID and people want to be in a hybrid model. How do you design these spaces for collaboration and creativity um, that help facilitate that work that we can't do over Zoom as well? And so I think the findings, the things you've been experimenting with are going to be very interesting as more and more companies are looking to create this new normal and some kind of cohesion and culture. We, we need some pride in our work that we, that I work for Google or Lego or wherever you are, that's part of your work identity. Hi there. I just wanted to take a quick break from this fascinating conversation to invite you to buy my book, Bet On Yourself. It's available wherever you like to buy books. In Bet On Yourself, 
I'll take you on a deep dive into the best practices I collected by watching the exceptional careers of my CEO mentors, including Jeff Bezos, Marissa Meyer, and Eric Schmidt. I also share stories of what it was like to work at Amazon and Google during the foundational years of those companies and the internet. I use my own career as a case study for how to translate the habits of these super performers into any career at any stage and within any industry. I also attempt to answer the question of why all three of these celebrity CEOs chose to partner with me in order to fulfill their most ambitious goals and how I am now going to do the same for you. While these stories are fun and fascinating, what I hope for most is that you will walk away not only inspired, but with a playbook for how you can take action, recover from setbacks, and create your own wild adventures and joy-filled success stories, and a work life centered around your personal mission and values. Okay, let's get back to the podcast interview and more examples of how taking even seemingly small bets on yourself can lead to extraordinary results. So walk me through some of the pivots that you have done now um, when you were working fully remote suddenly. And then now as you're designing for the new future, um, I just feel like you you are such a gift from the future. Having started this uh, years before the rest of us started thinking about it, I'd be interested to see what you found to be working and and what you're thinking about for your return to, to work. Well, to work. We've all been working very, very hard. Return to the office. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's also something about the vocabulary we need to change there, right? Because that's, uh, but, but you're right. Uh, we have all been working for sure. And, and interestingly enough, um, productivity doesn't seem to have you know, fallen off a cliff or whatever some were, were worried about. Um, I think at worst, it's probably stagnated, but, but I don't think there's any uh, risk of people not having done their job properly, especially um, for us working in, in jobs where, you know, where it's, 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 uh, it's knowledge-based uh, and, not, um, and where we don't necessarily have to be there. It's our ideas that matter and our ability to collaborate. But yeah, no, it's interesting. And, and you know, I think I was extremely lucky because uh, I, I got the team and the role. We had to create this team. It was like it was uh, a year before COVID hit, and I fairly quickly realized when I took over the team because I was looking for data. I was looking for we must we must know something about how uh, Lego employees uh, how they work. You know what motivates them, what's important for them coming to the office. And the realization was that there was no data as such, and and I was. I was like, okay, you know, we really need this data. So I also made sure to hire in those, some of those capabilities. So to establish some kind of data platform, to establish some knowledge, to, to, make, to be able to make the right analysis and stuff like that. So, so when COVID hit, we were actually already there. We, were actually, uh, we actually had some, some fairly decent data. And we needed that, of course, because as part of when COVID hit, our chief people officer was very adamant that this would be changing the way we would be working also going, going forward. That was not something that was shared with every executive leadership team member. So we had to, to convince them that, I mean, this is not to the detriment of Lego. It can actually be a huge advantage if you do it right. Um, and, and, and one of the, uh, you know, so we had to figure out what's the value proposition here. And as, as, as you say, and we had to figure out what was actually the, uh, the thing about offices that was so, that is unique compared to working from home. So if you separate it and you're like, you can do a lot of the same work, both places, but what is the, the work you can uniquely do 
uh, or not uniquely do from home, but what is, what is probably what you would do best from home right. and what is then uniquely um, the case for, for offices. And obviously, there are things in the office that you simply cannot do from home. You, you, you do not meet physically when you're working from home, obviously. Uh, that changes the way you collaborate. It's also much more difficult to tell the Lego story, as an example, in our case, uh, digitally. It's much easier to tell it if, you know, physically with the, with the bricks, with how you, you design the offices. Um, it's also easier to design an office with, with uh, you know, two different activities you would do. So, you, you know, you'd have areas with, with um, you know, quiet areas. You'd have collaborative areas. You'd have uh, maybe areas where there are, you know, couches and stuff like that. Of course, you also have that in your home to a certain extent, but people, you know, rarely use it in, in that way. So, so we tried to figure out, okay, so, you know, what is the office uniquely uh, good for? And as you say, one of the, you know, obvious areas is the, uh, the, the collaboration and, and doing, doing um, workshops, uh, doing strategy work and, 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 and stuff, but also socializing, just, just that normal socializing where it's not certain that you necessarily get something out of it tomorrow, but a month down the road, that connection you made or that discussion you had at the water cool can maybe change, you know, something significantly. And I think, you know, we will have to change the way we, if we also had to do that before, but it becomes even more relevant now to see productivity as not something that you deliver every day. And it's not something, it's not input equals output. The number of hours you sit in front of the screen, that is not the output. That is not the value you generate for the company. No. And I think, I think that's so important to realize because once you realize that, then suddenly uh, the physical office and the workplace becomes, becomes you know, a totally different entity and, and suddenly has a value that is very different from working from home. On the other hand, of course, when you do work from home, there are, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very good place to, uh, to work, uh, so to say, independently, to, 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 to do deep, uh, deep work, mm-hmm. uh, to, 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 you know, to, to sit in your, with your own thoughts, to, to structure, to plan, to do all of that. The office is great for that. And you won't get that. Uh, I mean, I think there's a sort of say bigger, uh, let's call it a risk of, of being just, dis- you know, um, distracted all the time when you're in the office, whereas working from home, unless you have to work with kids, of course, <laughs> during a lockdown, then it's much easier to actually uh, to work more um, more focused without all the distractions. So that's I think that's to a large extent that's what what working from home can do for you. But then the office has a, a different value proposition. That's what we've been working on. That's also what in the end led the executive leadership team to the conclusion yet that yes, we will be working differently. Also, in the future we will be more working more flexible. We have set a direction of a three, two model. So as a rule of thumb, so not as a rule, but a rule of thumb, three days in the office and two days from home. Of course, that can change, uh, uh, you know, weekly and monthly and all that. And you have to figure out also with the team, there's a high degree of ability to influence it as a leader. But basically that was about sending the, the, uh, the signal to the, to, to the full uh, legal group that we do still see the, the, the office as a primary work location for that culture building. 
uh, for that social fabric uh, and, and all of that that you, to a large extent, probably still do create better when we're physically together. I think many people can, um, uh, you know, have, yeah, can, can, can say yes to this as well. I think that three, two model is so wise. It seems like a really great way to create this hybrid experience as we figure out what we need. Um, but it seems like that would still add a lot of enthusiasm to returning to the office because you're looking forward to seeing your colleagues and coming and having these shared experiences. But then you can also get your heads down work done um, when you need to be uninterrupted rather than exactly. measured Zoom hours. Yeah. No, exactly. And I think that, you know, of course, there's a, there'll, you know, many unanswered questions and all of that. And I think pivoting to a more flexible uh, way of working probably will have to come with more planning so you simply you know because you you'll then have to with your team plan which day do you because if you just come in randomly you know you won't see your close colleagues and then it doesn't make sense so you'll have to plan as a team you'll try to plan ahead i think that that's that's very important for, for to make this work as you know as effective as it can be um so um so 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 yeah that's that, that's uh, that's one of the areas where people have to to change uh, change a bit but i think it's also you know we've maybe changed from uh, from let's say the employer asking for uh, a legitimate reason for uh, employees not to come to work right. for now you can almost almost turn it around so the employees could ask the employee why should i you know why should i come in what is it that the office can 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 uh, can give me that i can't get from home so to say uh, especially when you also then factor in all the commute and stuff like that. So, yes. so and I think, I think it's also important just as a final note here to say that when we did come with a recommendation, it was all, it was all based on what employees were telling us. So we had created this huge survey and we've asked people, uh, you know, about where they would like to work and, you know, what kind of activities they would mostly like to do from home and in the office. So, you know, it wasn't just us coming up with a, a, an idea of three, two. It was actually based on people saying, you know, on, on average, I think it was 85% that would, li- that would like to work two or three days from home. Um, so, 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 yeah, it's the, the large majority that, that wanted some kind of split. So, uh, yeah, so we were kind of like, we were just basically bringing the voice of the, uh, of the employees. So, uh, yeah. I think there's so many important elements of your leadership style varied in that example. One, your background in economics comes through when you you make very data-driven decisions. Uh, So gathering the right information upon which you can make these strategy decisions makes perfect sense to me. And I also like that you put value not only on that data, but on the elements of play and creativity and environments of productivity what actually is productivity and what isn't like sitting in front of a computer just for X number of hours isn't necessarily productive, but how do we get the best out of them? And I like reckon, I think I would be very at home in the Lego like workspace environment. Cause I have a feeling it, it's a similar vibe to Google is it Google, honestly, yes, I am a nerd and I love my work a lot, but even if I was on vacation and there was a Google office nearby, I almost always went in because I knew it would be full of cool and interesting people it would be a fun place. I could get a free snack and pet someone's dog. I just, it was an environment I wanted to be in and I didn't want to miss out. And I think that's probably a rare experience for many people where their environment, their work environment is something they would just voluntarily go to. But I always wanted to be there because I didn't, I knew that something interesting was happening 
within that office and I didn't want to miss out. Exactly. No, no, exactly. And I think actually our, our chief people officer used to work for Google. So he's probably also inspired by the workplaces, uh, but uh, he's definitely a big proponent of, of what we're doing and, 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 and I think also, and I think that's that's what the Bay Area has, has realized many years ago, that suddenly the workplace experience become a, can become a competitive edge. Yeah. And I think what is really interesting there is what you do in the workplaces, whether that's design or, you know, the benefits and offerings you have there, or it's the way you work or, you know, whatever it is, the community that is being built there, that is visible to everybody you know, both those who work there, but actually also potentially, uh, you know, outsiders, uh, whereas something like, uh, let's say, like, like salary, it's very, you know, only you know what you earn. So, so it's, it's much more hidden uh, or invisible. Uh, so I think, um, you know, you can, you can, to, to a certain extent, it's, it's probably a better, better bang for the buck if you actually, because everybody, it's visible for everybody. If you, you know, whatever have, uh, you know, free barista coffee, or if you have a good lunch, everybody can see that everybody working there. So, so I believe it's like, it's actually very important for, especially for, for retaining top talents, uh, and to also to a certain degree to, to, um, to attract uh, talent from the outside. Completely. Honestly, when the Google recruiter called me, um, I was in my PhD program at the time and they were trying to recruit me out of it, not to finish. And I said, no, the first three times. And the way that they got me to come to campus was, well, don't you want a tour? And I did. Like It did attract me just to see, like, how does anyone get anything done in that environment? I'd heard all the stories of like the free food and you can bring your dogs and there's massage rooms and, you know, all this lore. It That is honestly the only reason why I engaged at all. And then it was very clever on the recruiter's part because the moment I got to campus, I was like, okay, these are my people. I, I think I should heavily consider this. But I think the element of play that you were talking about earlier is a huge part of reimagining work. And especially on your strategy and innovation focus that you have, engaging both sides of your brain in those types of conversations, not just looking at the spreadsheets of data, but when you're physically working on something with your hands, we find this with engineers. I still say we, after 12 years of Google, I can't, I can't break the habit. <laughs> but Google, the reason why the environment was designed that way is for if you're sitting at your problem and you're staring at your monitors full of code and you're trying to think of how you can solve an issue that you're having, getting away from your desk, going and playing foosball or playing or getting outside and going for a walk or doing your one-on-ones as you're walking engages the different sides of your brain that wake up something that has that answer in the back of your mind. And so while it does look like a lot of play, there's a lot of brain like neuroscience behind those moments of inspiration. So I'm curious for you as a leader, now that you're, you've had leadership roles for a while now, you are very focused strategy and kind of anticipating the needs of the future. What type of talent are you particularly trying to attract onto your team? And how are you cultivating this culture, especially now as you're probably hiring some people remotely that you haven't met in person yet? Um, what is it like for you to build that culture around innovation and anticipating the future? Yeah, no, it's, it's important for me, especially in the beginning, as I, as I also mentioned that to get in some who would understand data and who, you know, who knew how to get good data because we needed it. Uh, it was an, 
it is an area where there are lots of opinions. Everybody has an opinion about workplaces. And to a large extent, you know, everybody's opinion is, 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 is equal, right? So, um, so because, because it's an area where I, I think there's been a lack of, of clear data that says that, you know, as an example, two executives at some point discussed whether we should have baristas, free baristas. And, you know, one was saying, uh, you know, it's, it's too expensive. And the other one saying it's too expensive not to have it. So, and, and simply because we do not have, we didn't have any data to back any of those, you could say, arguments uh, up. Uh, it just became an area where everybody could, uh, yeah, could, could have opinions without anyone being really an expert or being an authority within it. So, so that was what I was look, looking for early to get someone in who could do that. I was also looking for um, people who could drive projects because this, you know, one thing is driving projects. So I was looking for someone who could drive projects, but especially who could drive people because what we, what we were also doing was, and of course uh, that's, that's even more relevant now. Uh, we need, some who can actually change people's mindset in how we work. They're used to going to the office and they're used to, you know, not even asking the question every morning, should I go to the office or should I not? They just do it. It's the default option. It's not the default option anymore. It shouldn't be at least. You, sh you know, you should really out encourage people to, you know, to think about uh, and, you know, at latest when they wake up in the morning, does it make sense for me to come to the office today? Does it make sense for me to, to spend all the commute uh, time when I can do, you know, lots of other stuff, right? You know, potentially doing some exercise, spending a bit more time with your family, uh, but of course also putting more, uh, more thinking into work. Um, so, so, so that is something we'll have to, and that is about changing people. So I've also uh, gotten people in that are really good at that. And, and really good at, uh, uh, say, yeah, changing people's uh, ideas and, 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 and helping them along the journey. Um, and I think maybe to your point about, you know, then how do I, um, how do I get them all together? I think that's, that's where strategy really becomes imp you know, important. Because for me, strategy is really about linking some of the, the, the deep purpose of Lego and linking that to what we do as a workplace experience team. And, and that means that whatever our strategy looks like, we know it, there's a direct line from the purpose of Lego to what we do. And when there is that, of course, sometimes you have to make some assumptions uh, in there. I mean, we have to assume uh, as part of it that for instance, by building better workplace experiences, we also improve our ability as, a, as an employer, as a company, to attract and retain talents. We, that is something we're trying to see if we can measure, but it's difficult, right? So, so, so some of the things that we are working towards are difficult to measure, but we'll still have to, to, to assume that that, that to be the case. But by having that link to the purpose and then to our strategy makes, you know, uh, for us, then it, we know that if we accomplish what we've set out to do, we are playing into the purpose of Lego thereby helping the company. I think that's so important. So that direct line, because it's impossible to always go all the way back to, you know, what's the purpose of Lego? What's our uh, mission? Uh, you know, people will get tired of hearing, uh, hearing that uh, after mentioning it a thousand times. So it's better to have that line and people understand the line between Legos 
overall mission uh, and then what we're, what we're doing as a team. Um, so I think that, that's very important. Then, of course, also make sure that the strategy uh, has elements where everybody can see themselves in. You know, you simply, it, there, there, there cannot be areas where, um, or there cannot be people in the team who cannot see how they're contributing. So that's so important. I mean, they won't be able to contribute in all areas, but they have to see themselves contributing to some areas. So that is very, very important. Um, also, when you when you set, I, I believe, when you set direction and when you set goals. Um, so that's part of, of what I've tried to do because it's a very diverse team with people from from many different uh, areas, very different cultural backgrounds, very different capabilities and skill sets. So uh, so it's about figuring out where are the pockets where, you know, where they can see themselves uh, play a role. I, I couldn't agree more in the, having now been a student of, of business and for a while, having worked for some of the most impactful CEOs in the world, I can tell you that what you just said is the secret to success. When you're each, every individual employee from an intern to your senior executives understands how what they're doing today connects to how we all win as a whole and accomplish this big mission, that's when you get true innovation and enthusiasm. People feel pride in their work and feel a, a member of this global team. And then that's when you, you get that beautiful connection between mission and vision and someone's output. And that's how you attract employees who do, as Jeff Bezos describes it, you get a workforce that you have to hold back rather than push forward. And that energy exchange is completely different. So yes, but your work can, I imagine, become all-consuming as mine has at many stages of my life. But you also have a very young family. What has that been like for you in finding elements of balance? I'm sure we don't feel balanced all the time, but having a very ambitious and demanding job while having young kids, what is your secret sauce for how you're able to kind of be present at home and also very forward thinking in your, in your work, which is, can I imagine without some checks and balances become all consuming? For sure. And, and it is something that is you know, very important for me uh, I've never had a, uh, a, a, so say a working career without kids. So I had my first child when I was doing my, my master's. Uh, so my, my, my wife and I were just about to, to, to write our master's, master's thesis. So, you know, I haven't, you know, I've, had, had, I've always had to, to think about family at home and, and think about the cost of staying ex the extra hours probably easier if you don't have family because the you you bear the cost yourself so to say to a large extent of course you know also a a, a, a spouse or a girlfriend or boyfriend of course but still it's, it's probably easier than than uh, than the than the than your kids bearing that cost so it's, it's always been very important for me to to be able to close down and completely close down so you know i i, I have and people do it very differently i'm sure but for me it's important to not um, to not answer emails and, and and text messages in certain you know periods of the day. Um, it's also important for me to to that I manually, so to say, open up my email. So whenever there's a new email, I don't hear any tick, I don't hear any sound, I don't hear any whatever. So 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 stuff like that is so important, and I, and I truly believe that it's one thing doing your best at work, and it's one thing trying to be. Uh, the, the best version of yourself, uh, you know, uh, at work, and thereby also, of course, being able to achieve what you want to achieve as a professional. But 
but it's my experience. And I truly believe that if you do not have the balance also with your family, uh, also with yourself, by the way, I mean, I think we also need uh, to spend time on our own. Um, then that will be to the detriment also of your, of your work. And yes, you can during certain periods, as you, as you said, you can be uh, imbalanced a bit, but I don't believe that you can truly become successful if you're imbalanced for too long. So I think that's something just to be very mindful of. And I think, I know it's, it's difficult when you're, you know, you're, you're young and you're you know, ambitious and you, you, know, you, you want to show, you, show what you can do. It can be difficult to set, set these boundaries or set expectations with your boss. But I think it is important to, to discuss it and, and then be, try to, to, to learn how to plug off. So I think there was, I read something the other day about most things, in, in life, I can't remember the exact, uh, the exact statement, but it was most things in life, uh, you know, become better when you once in a while plug off, uh, you know, and, you know, the same goes for you, right, as a, as a human. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> most technology is fixed by unplugging it for a, for a moment. Exactly, exactly. I think you hit on something really important there, and this is one of the most frequently asked questions I receive is how do you accomplish that balance, especially when you are the more junior member of a team? I find it easier now. It sounds like you're a very good model for your team as the leader, not sending after hours emails, turning off your notifications. You set a real expectation that it's okay in the evening, have dinner with your kids, do bath time, like you have permission to do that. How did you, it was really hard for me. I did a lot of 18 hour days young in my career. <laughs> it was at the foundation of the internet and the internet didn't sleep and it was all this new concept. And it was harder for me to create that balance. How do you encourage your more junior members of your team to set some expectations around their boundaries when maybe they are in less of a position of power? Do you have some best practices that you would recommend that people might try? I mean, I, I can, yeah, there, I guess there are two angles, right? There is uh, the angle of, of, of me as, as, as a leader and just being very aware of, especially, uh, especially the, the, the younger, uh, less experienced in the team, just making sure that you know, basically I tell them that I don't, I don't care how much they work unless they work too much. <laughs> so that's, so then there, it's up to them how they want to, um, how they want to plan their, their working week and, and when they, when they want to work for me. And I make that quite clear also, uh, there are certain, uh, you know, certain parts of the day where uh, I do not work because I want to be with, with, with my kids and my family. But then I normally also then do work in the afternoon, in, in, the, in the evenings. Uh, so, I, you know, that flexibility uh, just helps me in creating that balance. And I also make sure to, to, to tell people in the team, you know, if you do get an email from me in the, in the evening, don't worry about it, answer it when, when you do have time. So it's, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I do, do not expect an answer immediately. So I think as a, then, you know, flipping it and seeing it from the, uh, from, from, from this, you know, young professional's uh, eyes. Uh, and I think it's important to ask if there are, you know, how your, you know, how your leader sees it, how your leader would like uh, you to work, to, just to set those expectations, and not only for you, but actually for the full team. So, so to, to really encourage to have that discussion. And I think it's, it's probably easy, easier to do it now because you know in, in in this day of age you know with the uh, with, with people working so much from home and working remotely it will be a natural part of the conversation so I really encourage to to establish that fairly quickly because if you don't 
there's a there's that risk that you can have uh, that you can feel bad if you haven't worked you know I don't know how many hours a day or if you or if you maybe unplugged a bit early or because you don't know how your leader sees it so so really encourage you to take that discussion uh, uh, take it up quickly and if you feel that it's tough to kind of like to ask directly how would you like me to work you can just ask how would you like the team or do you have any like for the full team you can kind of like uh, then you're basically doing the full team a favor, I would say, and and it doesn't have to be about you as as an individual. So so that's probably at least one advice. I think that's fantastic advice for women in particular because women are we are still globally expected to be the caregivers of the whole, even in work environments. And so I was recently asked by a women's group, how do you get recognized? How do you be seen as a leader? And I said, well, I hate that this is true, but one of my best tips is saying we, when I really mean I, because <laughs> as a woman it's seen as nurturing and caregiving and not aggressive, if I want this balance or I want this opportunity, I frame it in the in the context of the whole of the team. And it's, it's statistically proven to be better received. So so I think that's a great advice for a young person or really for across many applications in our careers. But thank you for emphasizing this need for balance because it really is in the, in the benefit of everyone, the individuals, so that we have long careers of joyful experiences in working. And it's in the best interest of the employers to invest and make sure that their, their top performers are rejuvenating and being balanced so they don't burn out as well. So. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So as we wrap up our conversation, I could talk to you for hours more. I have so many questions, but as we wrap up our conversation, I'm wondering what, um, what gives you the most hope or enthusiasm for the future as we're inventing our new normal? What are you, you looking forward to creating or inventing or experimenting with next? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. I, I, I think we have almost an obligation as a Lego group to become much more playful in, in the way we approach work and in our, and, and play, see and seeing play not as an activity, but as a mindset. And, and in play, there are so many different elements. And, and when you do play, you, um, you say you start so many, um, I mean, it's, it's everything from, from physical to social, to cognitive, to, I mean, there's so many things in play. <laughs> Uh, sorry, the punch when you when you are actually um, playing, and I think if we can get that mindset into into how we work, into how we let's just say you have a you know playful mindset when you facilitate a workshop, right? That's you know th that sets a different that sets a different direction. It gives other opportunities. It will create a different workshop than if you were to not have a playful mindset. And I think play in 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 essence. Um, it's, it's, it's really about uh, testing. It's about, it's about learning from it. It's about failing. It's about, you know, that, that's basically how kids play. Uh, and I think we also uh, as grown-ups should learn from that uh, because it's, 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 it's something, it's, it's how we learn as kids. So why should it not be how we learn as, 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 as adults? And I think even though, you know, obviously Lego is, is, is probably one of the more playful companies to work for, I think, we can do a lot more uh, in that. And I think we should do a lot more uh, with that. So play is not only a, a proposition you give to consumers and customers, but also something that, that employees can actually uh, learn from. 
And in and if you become really good at it, you can imagine that being you know uh, having an, a, a playful mindset actually becomes a skill. It becomes something you that is valuable, something you can even trade, right? Like like yeah, you've worked uh, within marketing for ten years, but you also worked with Lego, you know, within Lego for five years. So if you learned this this interesting learning, uh, sorry, playful learning approach, which is also then being seen as a skill set. So if if employees buy into this concept. You know, they suddenly also just whilst working, they are, um, so to say, um, learning a new, uh, a new, new approach to work, uh, which can then you know be traded for 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 something else in the marketplace of uh, of, uh, of of companies. So, yeah, I think that that's an area where I think there's the opportunities here are massive, uh, and if there is one company that should do it, it should definitely be the the Lego Group. I agree. I think that's incredible. And I love giving, uh, validating the experience of imagination and play and just trying things out and not worrying about the failure. I was recently listening to a podcast with a social scientist, I can't remember her name at the moment, where she was describing an experiment they did with uh, in one room was CEOs and another room was children. And they gave them the same task of uh, they gave them marshmallows and dry spaghetti and told them to build the tallest structure they could the children built by far. Every time they did the experiment, the children built the taller tower because they just, instead of sitting down and talking through a plan, they just grabbed stuff and started just playing and experimenting. They didn't worry. It's amazing. But the details is beautiful. I'll, I'll see if I can find it and send you the study. But I, I see so much wisdom in that. If we can just play and experiment and not worry about quote unquote failures or successes, but just make cool things, then mm. you get to this, this place of... Um, output that we wouldn't have got to otherwise. And I, I definitely relate to that from my Google years. And it sounds like Lego is a really innovative environment that's embracing the different parts of our brain and how that might come together towards strategy. Exactly. No one exactly. And I think as a, we should have a mission of, of making play a serious, a serious thing to do. It's interesting yeah. if you look it up in the Oxford Dictionary, play is actually the absence of doing something serious. And uh, and it shouldn't be. It, it should be the core and the center of of of, uh, of being serious in in what you do. So, yeah. So that's uh, that's for sure a mission we should have, and uh, I think we will. I think we'll get there at some point. I love that you are literally changing the definition of play. I, I think that's your mission. I love that. Exactly. Thank you so much for this. How can people continue to follow along? Where should they connect with you online? And if someone's interested in working at Lego, where do they start? Yeah, I mean, just uh, reach out on, on LinkedIn uh, would be a, yeah, a good place to start for sure. Uh, I would love to hear from people. Um, and yeah, let's see. Uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll then direct them if they have you know, specific areas they, they would like to, to work within the Lego. I'll, I'll try to direct them as, as well as I can. I think what you're doing is fascinating. Thank you so much for your time today. This was an incredibly inspiring conversation. And uh, I'll definitely be watching to see what you build next. Thanks so much for having me, and it was a pleasure. It was really fun as well. <laughs> Thanks, Jesper. Yes,